plan to rest, we will not rest. We will go for the tyranny of the urgent. We will be constantly available for the next buzz of our phones, and then we're gone. We're off. Our minds are racing or we are racing. In our day, we've just got to be careful because there can be a false busyness. Everyone can be busy doing the wrong things. You can be busy scrolling social media. You can be busy playing video games. You can be busy doing the urgent things, but not important things. C.J. Mahaney insightfully says, busyness does not mean I'm diligent. Busyness does not mean I am faithful. Busyness does not mean I am fruitful. One article kind of snarkily says this, but I think it's a helpful quote. It says, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy, completely booked, in demand for every hour of the day. Do you see how we can rob ourselves of rest because we think we're so important, we're busy? And friends, that's the cultural air we breathe. We can be so busy that we, ever, we never actually consider the trajectory of our lives. And like Jesus tells Martha, there's one thing necessary. There's not a thousand things necessary. There's one thing necessary, and that's relationship with God. Final enemy of rest that I want to bring out is discontentment. Discontentment. In Psalm 131, verse 1 and 2, it gives a helpful illustration of what discontentment and contentment look like. The ESV reads this way, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way. I think it's kind of funny. He says, God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. And get this illustration. Like a baby content on its mother, in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Oh, you get the picture. You moms, you know exactly what this is talking about. You have no problem picturing this in your head. A baby that's discontent, that wants to feed, is angry with arched back and red face screaming. I just even, like, as I was writing this, I thought of that. I don't know which kid of mine did this, but I was like, ah 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 And that was like, that was like the angry cry of like, I want food now. A content baby sits happily, cooing, content on mom's lap. Friends, which of these describe your life? Are you content or are you discontent? If we were to ask your roommate or your spouse or your parents or your kids, would they say, no, you're, you're content or you are discontent? Are we like the winged child, quietly resting on mom's lap? Are we quietly resting in God? 
waiting on God, patient, dependent, just grateful to be near God? Or are we not? Charles Spurgeon speaks of Psalm 131. He said, this is a great quote. It is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. It's such a short psalm to read. It'll take you, you know, you want to do your devotion time in 30 seconds, read Psalm 131. But it is one of the longest to learn. Peterson says of Psalm 131, it is a a maintenance psalm where God functionally prunes us of unfruitful limbs of discontentment. Oh, Lord, would we be pruned of unfruitful limbs of discontentment. And friends, pruning is with a knife. This isn't like a prayer of like, oh, this will be a little easy, just put a Band-Aid on it. No, that's a knife. It's cutting away the discontentment. These are enemies to God, and these are enemies to your soul. So now we've looked at several enemies of rest, and maybe you are aware, like that x-ray, that, wow, this idea of rest is completely absent from the x-ray of my life. Let's gain some biblical framework and foundations for rest. Point number two, biblical foundations of rest. In Genesis 2, God spoke powerful words and created everything in six days. But there's a startling thing that happens as you enter into Genesis chapter 2. It says this, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested. But why did God rest? Did he rest because he was tired from those six days? No. God is all-powerful. We know that's not why he rested. God rested to show us something about who he is, his character, and about the regular rhythms that mankind would live in to honor God as image bearers of God. You fast forward to Exodus chapter 19, Mount Sinai. Israel's been delivered from slavery in Egypt. God tells Israel that they're to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's as if God calls to them to have a continual rest in worshiping him beyond one day. But in Exodus chapter 19, the people kind of like pull back. They're like, no, I don't think so, God. Like, Like, we love your blessings, but we don't really want relationship. And so then you head toward Exodus chapter 20, where God explains, no, 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 this is what relationship looks like. These are my good words. These are my 10 commandments. First three talk about having no other gods. It's about relationship with God. And the fourth says this, Exodus 20 verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day 
and made it holy. So God showed the purpose of the resting in Genesis 2 was to have a regular rhythm of rest for his covenant people. As I mentioned earlier when we were talking about manna, this is a big idea of trusting God. We see lots of Sabbath breaking and then Sabbath renewal in the Old Testament. Then by the time we get to Jesus and he comes on the scene, the Pharisees have added tons of rules to the fourth commandment to make sure you don't even get close to breaking the Sabbath commandment. And Jesus speaks of the Pharisees' teaching in Mark chapter 2, 23 through 28. And he just like, if you watch just the life of Jesus, you read the Gospels, like it almost feels, this isn't accurate, but it almost feels like he, he only does miracles on Sabbath. Like it's just like he is just gutting. Like you, you think you understand, it's boom, there's that miracle and that one and that one. You want a resume of miracles? They're all on the Sabbath. No, they're not really, but, but you see that a lot. So Mark chapter 2, this isn't actually talking about a miracle, but it gets to the teaching on Sabbath, he was going through, this time about Jesus, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Verse 27, and he said to them, this is massively important, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, King, Master, even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a command from God to rest, but not a command to cease from doing good to others. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was a gift to man. So when God rested on the seventh day, when God gave the fourth commandment, it was a gift to Israel. It was a gift to humanity. Rest is a gift, which makes sense. Who wouldn't want a day to rest and be restored and renewed and honor God? You fast forward to Hebrews chapter 3 because you, in redemptive history and things like Sabbath, you've got to kind of build out what does all the Bible say. In Hebrews chapter 3, the author is explaining how three logical connections of rest are tied together. First, what we talked about, God's resting in creation. Second, the fourth commandment that we talked about in Exodus chapter 20. And third, which we haven't talked about, which we'll talk about a lot in the Joshua series, is the rest that Israel will have as they enter the promised land. And what the author of Hebrews does is he ties all these together in the rest we have in Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, there is a Sabbath rest that we daily live in. We have rested from working for good standing with God. We have rested from disobedience. We have rested in Christ as he is now, as the text says, our great high priest, our mediator between God and man. So we actually have a functional, experiential rest and peace that we did not have prior to knowing Christ as our King. 
And you can probably think about that. Those who are in Christ, who know Jesus, you have an experiential rest that you did not have prior to knowing Christ if you got saved later in life. I remember being exhausted trying to worship baseball in high school. Like that was my God. You guys have different idols that you had. Like it was demanding. There's always more to do, always more to practice, always more to think through, always more, to, to, more weights to lift and miles to run and food to eat better. And like there was always a demand. Coaches were always asking for more. It was exhausting. And it was anxiety-producing to live with my sin around my parents. Like telling my parents a lie and I had to keep up with those lies and like edit things I was going to say to them based on the lies. And like, okay, which lie did I tell dad? And which lie did I tell mom? Which lie did I tell that teacher? And it was just like, it was exhausting. There's no rest and peace for the unbeliever. You're living anxious. You're living trying to please other people. So Hebrews chapter 3 talks about a rest in Jesus. And it's a big passage when you start talking through what does Sabbath keeping look like today? Now, friends, I'm not a strict Sabbatarian, but I have several godly friends who are. And just to let you know, I may change on my position on this. I'm still working through it quite a bit. But one of my concerns with those who are in my camp, which I kind of think the majority of our church would kind of lean toward that, of this church, so I'm speaking to what I think is the majority in the room, is that we put a major emphasis that Sabbath rest is in Christ, and yet we completely ignore the good rhythms of rest that God put into creation order. If Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, if there is a creation order of Sabbath, and if we who are in Christ can live in the continual Sabbath rest, why would we not also partake in regular weekly resting? Not for favor, but from favor. Why would we who have freedom in Christ not see the free gift of stopping? Living in the rhythm of creation. Why would we not want 52 days per year to stop? Why would we not want 52 days per year to pull back, reset, and refresh in Christ? In that book, 24-6 by Dr. Matthew Sleeth, he talks about Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. And he takes away a word from each one of just how to help his brain think, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. Be still and know that. Be still and know. Be still and be still. Be. Friends, it can be argued that Psalm 46.10 is actually not said in a quiet voice. It's not the voice I just gave, but be still and know that I'm God. It's be still. It's God getting your attention. Be still. It's Jesus talking to the wind and waves. Peace. Be still. Some of us need to be still, and some of us need stop it. You choose. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. It may just be that bold 
command that you are killing yourself. And if you do not stop, God will stop you. The perfect man, Jesus, is one we've got to look at with rhythms of rest. I talked about him a little bit, but just think about Jesus' life. Jesus was teachable. He was learning at a young age. Even Jesus, you think about Jesus with Martha and Mary, and Jesus as a 12-year-old going to the temple. Uh, the other Mary, his mom and Joseph are looking for him, and he's like, why wouldn't I be in my father's house? I want to be around word. I want to be around the truth. That's, there's a disposition in the rest of Christ of being around the truth. He didn't start ministry till age 30. We already talked about that. And he wasn't grasping for position of power. Friends, we are discipled in our culture to grasp for positions of power. This is the regular rhythm of Jesus. He would go away and pray. And oftentimes he would go away and pray right at the moment when things were getting good right at the moment that, that the crowds were swelling, that we could do this big and grand. And he's like, I'm gone. And Peter's like, where is he? Like, you can't find him. He's somewhere. And he like goes and rebukes Jesus. Where are you? People are here. He's like, we're going to the next village. So, but there's crowds here. Nope. I didn't come to heal all those people. I came to preach the kingdom of God. That's actually what will heal them here. Jesus would have lots of meals with people, unimportant people, ungodly people, religious people. He seems to have lots of unhurried time with folks who are hurting. Jesus pours in most of his time into 12 men, his disciples, and then into those three so Jesus does not adopt our modern mantra of doing everything big, fast, and famous. He moves slowly, purposefully, quietly, and sows into a few. What would happen if we rejected the world's teaching about the pace of life? What if we as a room, we as a church, we just rejected the world's teaching of the pace of life? <clears throat> Two other quick notes on the rhythm of Jesus. He doesn't seem irritated when plans change. Man, I get so irritated when plans change. Like, he's going to heal Jairus' daughter. A lady comes to touch him who's been bleeding for 12 years, which is a connection in the text. And he's just like, boop, going to talk with her. And Jairus is like, but my daughter. He doesn't seem irritated when plans change. He also was okay with being misunderstood about his timing. Friends, if you're going to go the pace of grace, you're going to go the pace of Jesus. People will misunderstand you. And Jesus was okay with it. Now, there's lots of reasons why Jesus didn't go to, to Lazarus. He waited four days with death and some of the Jewish rituals. But they're like, why aren't we going? Even, I think it was Martha, it was Mary or Martha that greet him and say, where were you? He's going to be misunderstood. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It's okay to be misunderstood if we are walking by the Spirit of God. Friends, this teaches us to walk at the pace of King Jesus by the Spirit of God, being willing to be stopped by him. When was the last time Jesus hit the brakes on your life? And you're like, whoa, okay. 
yeah, I didn't, I thought I was going that way, but now we're going that way. Or I thought I was going and now we're stopped. I don't like being stopped, God. I like going. Are we sensitive and attentive and watchful and waiting, going at the pace of King Jesus? Not just reacting, not just assuming, but walking by the Spirit of God and in His Word. Last point today is just some application about rest. I've mentioned this before about five years ago. I was on a personal retreat uh, uh, right near Lake Marion, walking on the shore, just praying, and felt, I don't have tons of experiences like this, but like, felt like God was speaking to my heart, like not an audible voice or anything, but basically saying, you don't know how to rest. To which I responded, I don't know what that means, which probably means you're right, that I don't know how to rest which was obviously concerning. And so I've made it part of my journey to try to grow in this because I stink at it. My personality, different things about me stinks at this. Wanting to read regularly, think regularly, have conversations about how do I do this better? I want to go at the pace of God's grace for a long time, however long he has me this side of heaven. So here's some applications that have helped me and just want to pass them on to you. Number one application about rest is prioritize rest. That sounds super simple. Prioritize rest. I'm not talking about being unproductive. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm talking about true rest, biblical rest, actually having your soul rejuvenated, Sabbathing, stopping, enjoying life under God's care. Rest may be getting with good friends and conversing. Rest may be getting a a little more sleep than normal. Rest may be taking a walk or a hike or a jog. It may be reading. It may be watching something or listening to something that encourages your soul. I don't know what rejuvenates you and what rejuvenates me may not rejuvenate you. Rest is being satisfied in God. Understanding that he is the provider, he is the sustainer, he is the sovereign one, and you are not. So prioritize regular rhythms of rest and prioritize regular rhythms of checking in. I'd highly encourage you. This is, this is um, practice, not principle, okay? So this is like, you can take this or leave it, okay? I would encourage you toward personal retreats. Like, take a personal retreat once a year. Like, that may be an afternoon, that may be a whole day, that may be several days, to pull back and get a grasp on looking, how's life going? What's the trajectory look like? How's my resting going? Maybe have a book, one of the ones I put on Realm that are good on rest. Start personal retreats. And if you don't know how to have a personal retreat, I would love to talk to you about personal retreats because I'm passionate about it. And... Guys, if you have kids, don't, this isn't just a guy thing. No, you watch the kids so that your wife can have time away to have a personal retreat. Prioritize rest. Number two, prioritize slow, long, simple, and hidden 
over fast, immediate, complex, and famous. I'm hitting on our cultural defaults here. Our American age is one of urgency. We can easily adopt the self-centered, me-first, new-is-always-best mentality. But friends, spiritual growth is slow. Spiritual growth is slow. Change is slow. Long conversations, simple days, hidden moments with God are the good life. And when we realize that some slow things are good, guess what we start having? Patience. We start having patience. If we realize change can be slow, we'll have patience with our spouse and their spiritual growth, patience with our children and their pace of change, patience with our community group and their growth. Friends, we have to adopt God's view and God's pace, not the worldly philosophy that fast, famous, and new are always best. So we could be unknown and joyful in Jesus. We could be anonymous in love and life for the kingdom of God. Are you okay with anonymity? Are you okay with simplicity? Are you okay, you Marthas, with inefficiency? Oh, man, inefficiency can drive me nuts. Number three, just practical application, know your defaults. All of us are different in here. If you're one of those workaholic people, put up barriers to that. Have accountability. Prioritize community in helping you. Schedule your rest. Give your phone a Sabbath. Like, turn it off. Have you ever held the button long and then all of a sudden like it's a black screen or you have to like slide it over to turn it off and you're like, (gasps) what if the kids die? What if someone needs me? What? No, no one needs you. No one needs you right now. Set the phone down, walk away. Friends, know your defaults and learn to celebrate the rhythm of God's rest. John Michael Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I would highly encourage. I love, he, he is more of a Sabbatarian and he, he, they practice as a family Sabbath from sundown on Saturday night to sundown on Sunday night. It's kind of their rhythm. <clears throat> and he said, I love this, on Saturday night, this is what their family does every Saturday night. They gather around the table because they fixed a, fixed a massive cookie cake with ice cream all over it. They give everybody spoons and they start digging in to celebrate God's creation of Sabbathing and rest. Count me in! Like, that sounds awesome! But it's like this, teaching the kids to the glory of resting. Parents, how are we doing at teaching our kids the glory of resting in Jesus? Resting. Do our kids see us? Think through, for those who struggle on kind of the opposite of workaholic, but more toward laziness, think about how your rest can focus outward. How your rest can focus on others. Maybe resting for you is being creative. 
making something to bless someone else. Maybe it's art, maybe it's baking, maybe it's woodworking, but it's kind of an outward focus. I'm going to do these restful things to bless somebody else. Maybe it's taking a meal to the single friend or the widow. Maybe it's reading a book that you think would help you grow in this. Maybe it's taking a walk and praying. Friends, here's the weirdest thing about this message and just about this topic. We have to plead for God's grace to stop. Isn't that weird? Like, we're like, oh, I gotta stop. I gotta rest more. There's rarely people sitting here like, man, I've got plenty of rest. Like, I'm just chilling all day long, man. You know, most of us are going, 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 going. And we have to plead, Lord, help me to trust you to stop. Isn't it crazy that we have such a hard time taking time to rest in Jesus each week? We must be a people that are reset by Scripture, that we know the one thing that is necessary, Martha's. It's relationship with King Jesus, learning the pace of grace. So right now, we're just going to slow down as we close, sit and pray. And here's a question I want us to ponder. Robbie, you can come on up and play background for us some. And, and this question I want you to ponder and talk with either your spouse about, your community group about, or your D group about. So we want to get real in this area of rest. Here's a question for us to ponder. Robbie, are you coming? Did I call him? There you go. Okay. <laughs> He's resting back there. He fell asleep during the sermon. He's like application right now. Here's the question. If I could change, can you guys put the question up there? <laughs> there we go. If I could change one aspect of how I rest, and we're saying rest in Christ, it would be. Think about that for a second. Just take a few minutes, ask the Holy Spirit for help here. Maybe the Holy Spirit's going to do what, you, what he did to me of, you don't have a clue what you're doing here. Oh, friends, let us be a people who walk forward and grow in resting in Jesus. Let's take some time to pray right now.